when I wrote that article and make me think. You're on mute somehow. It, it clicked on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Um, that, that brings me back to this article I wrote some time back. And today I'm going to try and, and bring a, a twist of COVID on it. Um, because, you know, that's, that's highly disruptive. And I think it, it reveals even more um, when we look at COVID. So, um, as, let me just advance the slide, just a, a quick introduction. Um, I've, I've been a lot of my career in, in digital and I don't quite like to be introduced as an agile coach. Um, I've, I've been um, in digital change for a while and, and really agile is a pseudo name of trying to be uh, competent and performant with digital, it feels like, and, 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 and working with software. And uh, in parallel, uh, I realized that to, you know, through a, a long cons consulting career, I realized to really help clown now was not so much about delivering solutions for them, uh, but helping them to gain the competencies of uh, being digitally competent and, uh, and working as teams like this. Uh, and that's why I, I shifted my career uh, about three years ago uh, with an effort towards coaching and, 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 and being a coach and actually, uh, I've been a certified ORSC coach uh, together with Sherry on the same cohort. So that's how we met. And, and since then, I, I focused on digital leadership as, as a slightly different term uh, to achieve you know, the, the, the performance in digital and what Agile is meant to be. Um, and this article was Leaders of Chaos, How Traditional Management Perpetuates chaos in digital IT. And today I'd like to also visit how is the leadership coping uh, through COVID and the types of leadership coping through COVID. But to make it fun, because it's quite late here, um, I also bring a flashback. I don't know if, if you're old enough to remember um, the adventures of the persuaders. Uh, we were uh, a team, it was a British series, but apparently it made success more in Spain, France, and other parts. Um, and it was, it had a fantastic start with comparing the two main actors, which were Roger Moore and uh, Tony Curtis, as uh, Lord Brett Sinclair and Danny Wilde. Lord Brett Sinclair was really uh, the tradition, British aristocracy, army officer, gentleman driver, old money, and very much entitled. And Danny Wilde was raised in the Bronx, served in the Navy, um, made his money through oil in Texas, probably, <laughs> and, and Wall Street. Uh, it was very much a new money and go-gator. And, and they were, uh, sort of partnered together as token cheese and you know to solve crimes of all sorts and and they worked well together uh, but I chose those as kind of the metaphors of the traditional manager and 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 a more sort of new type of manager uh, and actually you know I'm, I'm a bit of a petrol head and 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 their difference was also visible in their car 
for those that know, on the on the left hand side here, you got the Dino Ferrari, which is not a Ferrari, so Dino, uh, with a V6 um, and 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 quite an original first um, central engine, rear central engine, and to the right is. Uh, the Aston Martin DBS, which uh, Lord Brett Sinclair was was driving, uh, much more traditional. And and if we look at Lord Brett Sinclair as the the traditional manager, you know, very much suited, sleek looking, and so on, what does the regular manager cares about? And fundamentally, it's about projects and big budgets. That that's how they've been, you know, grown. And to a degree, you know, I mean, although he was very sleek in the series and, and very British, uh, they they grown about being a bit tough. You know, if you are a leader or manager, you have to to make tough decisions, and you have to uh, to commit to objective and deliver to those objectives. That's what a manager does. Uh, and for that, when you have to apply some control. Uh, you do that by looking at the rack status. Very often you look at the reds much more than the amber and greens. Um, you control costs and risks. And of course you have you know, uh, some, some challenges and, and some worries about your careers, your perception. You need to look good. And, and that's all the motivators of a lot of management out there. That's what they've grown into. That's what they're used to. That's what they're good at. Um, and and what is the unintended consequence of this is uh, very often the watermelon projects. So I don't know. I mean, show of hands, maybe who knows the watermelons project? No. So they're green on the outside in terms of rack status, but red on the inside. So what happens? They are they are green, green, green. Then for one week they amber, and then they go red. Generally, three weeks before the release time. So that, that's a very much of an intended consequence. It's because people are not in, in a safe environment to actually declare the challenges and they try and just make the best of them and, and eventually you, know, you can't avoid it. It's, so that's what happens. Now, I'd like to explain that uh, through a framework I use quite often, a sense-making framework called Kinevin. Do, do you know Kinevin? Yes? Yeah. So just, just to summarize it quickly, it's, it's, it's composed of five domains. It's not a five quadrant framework, <laughs> it's five domains. Um, in the middle is confused, which was uh, before that called disorder. Uh, and it's a state of uh, trying to make sense of a situation. And, and generally that's where you start. Um, then you have the clear uh, to, to the right, uh, bottom right. And, and basically the right is what they call the ordered domain and, and, and the left is unordered. And to the right, the clear domain is relatively simple. It's things that have been experienced before, things that are generally known. So you sense the situation, you categorize it, you respond. Generally, there's a process, a protocol, a policy that exists to deal with it. And, and it's, it's regimented in a way by best practices and, and generally rigid constraints. There's a policy to deal with those things. Then to the top right is, is relatively similar, except that those situations are more complicated. Uh, in a sense, um, you need to make sense of them by analyzing or calling up the experts. And again, you can you know, resolve those challenges, 
uh, and you apply typically good practices and, and they obey, those spaces go, obey by governing constraints. Uh, and it's a space, space where you spend time analysis or, or root cause analysis and, and calling in the experts. To the left is the less, you know, the, the, the unordered domain where it's less clear what is a root cause or, or the causal link between things doesn't really exist in hindsight. Um, and in that, that complex domain, what you do is you tend to probe first. So you're going to do experiments and, and then you sense the results of the experiments and then you adapt your response to that. And that's the space for emergent practices uh, and exaptation. Exaptation is when you recompose things you already knew or things that you already operate and you create something new out of that. Um, and it's a space as well for enabling constraints. So rather than seeing constraints as a limiting things, constraints now become enablers. So you, you, you put some boundaries and people sort of recompose and do things differently to create something new. Uh, and, and that's the space of complex. And the space of chaotic is, is a space where there's a degree of urgencies. There, there's no known answers. And, and when it's like this, well, you tend to act first. You know, you have an outage, you're gonna try and resolve the outage to get yourself out of the situation. And then you will land into another of the domains and you adapt. So you act first, you sense and you respond. Um, but that's also a great space because when things are broken and so on, there is no constraints anymore. Anything is possible. So it's also a space that can be extremely creative with novel practices. And what happens uh, to, to those watermelons, how they materialize is there is a view of the world that everything can be analyzed, planned, and committed. Anything can be controlled in a sense. And, and once it is analyzed and, and planned and committed, then we just have to execute, right? We execute through control with a rack status to, to monitor it. Uh, and, and inevitably, when things go wrong, it falls into chaos. And that wiggly thing at the bottom uh, of, of the, the Kinevin model, uh, this organic sort of um, limit or, or boundary, uh, is, is indicating a 3D cliff. So what happens is when, when things go wrong, you fall off a cliff and you have overruns, you tend to try and compensate with death march projects, and, and of course you have a trail of tech debt. And it's very difficult uh, to climb back your way into clear from chaotic. Um, and you know, the way those, those leaders actually operate in this, they're co Maybe they didn't even to a lurking problem for so long, but here they come along, they boss a few people around, they resolve some constraints that people couldn't resolve, and, and suddenly they save, the they save the game. And this is very rewarding part to be able to save the game all the time. 
So <clears throat> what happens is they focus on rack status. They get involved when it's red. And effectively, they are creating chaos in the organization because they're not focusing on green. They're not focusing on amber. They're not focusing on improvement. And that is, you know, when the CIO says, we're going to be agile on top of this, what happens is nothing changes. There's an agile bit in the middle, but it doesn't essentially matter. And worse is that this is actually a, a characteristic that perpetuates because those people value heroes. They tap on the shoulders, the people that will work all weekend long to fix an outage. Those are the people that are going to get promoted. Those are the people that get the bonus. It's all based on effort. But it's an effort that fundamentally is as its roots and foundation into this function. And we're creating you know, a, a, a psycho mini-me, so psychopathic mini-me's uh, that end up you know, basically in, in the leadership of organizations. We're creating chaos. So what would we like to have happen? Back to, to our uh, heroes and Danny Wilde, uh, the, the, the cool new Monet character, the, the sort of, um, you know, the, the, the guy that could make magic happen. We want, you know, digital magic to happen. We want to have the unicorn of engineering. How many times do I hear, we have the wrong people. We need better people. They don't get it. Well, generally, that's a leadership problem when that happens. Because Google and so on are in the same pool. We need to move at speed, you know, grow and disrupt. And sometimes, you know, wear T-shirts and sandals as well. Maybe some people even try to start with this because they think the rest is going to come. Um, and essentially, what we're talking about is there is a, a dynamic in digital between opportunities and innovation and industrialization and excellence. And what we see is, you know, what we don't see is a relationship between those dynamics. And that's where we talk about digital value chains. Because those are very much connected. And actually what makes it operate in the middle is the systemic leadership. It's these ideas of working with a system of work and, and getting the autonomy into the system of work. Uh, applying a lot of the systemic coaching techniques into leadership. So if we go back to the Kinevin framework, what essentially happens is those leaders operate into the complex, uh, the complex uh, domain and they look at options, experiments, discovery, very much generated small experiments that guide you know, what may actually materialize. And those small experiments travel to the complicated. Now, once we discovered, once we know better, once we tried and we see what works, it becomes complicated. We built the expertise to know. And that's where we look at amplifying. We look at improving and iterating on that. And, and once we are actually you know, very useful experts, we try and scale things. We try and build things up. We try and get that competency uh, as a standard in your organization. And we, you know, it goes bigger and better uh, as, as it goes towards the clear. 
And essentially what we're describing is a learning journey to start with, with a simplification, modernization, industrialization journey that follows that. And importantly, in digital, we need to recognize that the industrialization allows to free capacity for innovation. So it enables new value through innovation because it frees the capacity. It's not like it's a value, it's not like it's a chain of production, it's people. And, and if we use less people to do the existing, we get more people to do discovery and innovation. And that's what the digital companies do very well. They continuously cycle through this. Also, you know, those, those new leaders, um, they value the people capital. And, and I've heard this term, you know, as opposed to tech debt, essentially what you got is people capital. What you're investing in is people. Technology will change. Solution will become obsolete. People need to grow through that journey because they are the future. Um, diversity is also absolutely necessary because cognitive diversity, which is very often a result of diversity of people, culture, you know, skin color, religions, diversity is very diverse in itself. Diversity is about the curiosity of others to actually explore the ideas you may have to innovate. And diversity is essential in creating new ideas connected with the people that are your customers, the people that buy from you. That needs to be reflected in your teams. Um, of course, collaboration is all of, of, of those great people working together. And in those organizations, you promote the behaviors. You don't promote the effort. You promote behaviors and skills. And that creates a self-sustaining evolution. So what about COVID? You know, that, that, that has thrown a spanner in the works. And you feel on COVID that has landed everybody right into chaotic. And some people, you know, have remained into confused as a space and they are paralyzed. They just don't know what to do. And what we have is the, the regular managers, they are trying to recenter on the core. They're trying to safeguard the business as it is. They're trying to reduce the cost to achieve that. You know, they're trying to get their hand on something concrete. How are we going to return to work? How are we going to make that office with plexiglass between people and other people pressing lift button? I don't know, things like this. But should I be really thinking about that? Because the other leaders think about new possibilities. What can we do with the business? What made that open as options? New plans, new possibilities. You know, as we said earlier, the, the chaotic domain is a space of no constraints. Novel practices can emerge. I got a friend of mine who works into a travel company and, and he was doing total skunk work because he, he, he had to commute a long distance and he's trying to figure out how can I get remote work to function. And he was a hero overnight because he had worked out a solution using Zoom before coronavirus hit and lockdown hit. So he was ready to roll it out. 
And that's really the kind of situation where um, new possibilities happens, exaptation can happen. And actually the people think remote first. They take cues that the working practices has changed probably forever. And rather than focusing on returning to work, especially as more and more lockdowns are likely to happen, it is about making the most of the situation and exploring the new potential of the business through it. So how are we gonna reconfigure manager one zero with some leadership two zero and reboot the lot? So th there is, and, and that's the approach I tend to take, is there's an element of strategy, there's an element of leadership, and an element of excellence, digital excellence. Strategy very much about situational awareness, understanding the landscape we're in to start with. Most of the time, strategies start with wishful ambitions. Let's first understand the situation. Visualize the digital value chains. Look at exaptation and the options. Work out the balance of innovation and industrialization. And very importantly, strategy to the people. And if, if we want autonomous teams, it is absolutely essential that they make right decisions. Because if they don't, the autonomy will be removed from them very, very quickly. We need to give them the element to make good decisions. And that means they need to be part of the strategy. Because they will enrich the strategy with the limitations. And at the same time, part of this process, strategy will become theirs as well. And they will be able to deploy and execute it a lot better. When we talk about situational awareness, um, I often look at you know, enterprises uh, in relation to a fairly linear process of having stable uh, estate. So the stabilization of the estate is often a problem when some tech debt has lurking for some time. Then optimization of a lot of the flows. And basically automation, which is the optimization of the business. It's using technology to automate the business. And, and then that enables innovation. And through that journey, if, if you're in a stabilization zone, you have very, very little capacity for doing opportunities, exploration, and experimentation. You spend your time fixing problems. And you need to recover on that journey and start driving that journey so that you spend more time on opportunities and experimentation. But equally, it's very important to start this journey because if you just save costs, at some point, you've got to basically get rid of engineers. And in a digital world, that's the last thing you want to do. So those are journeys that go in parallel. And when I talk about value chains, it's understanding how your value chain of your business deploys on this. And you have tools like Wadley Maps that help a lot to do this. Um, and, and once you do that, you realize that you manage actually very differently to the right of this or to the left of this. And saying, you know, agile one size fits all is completely wrong. 
And that's where the leadership needs to understand and, 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 and coaches as well, you know, that we need to have a situational awareness of the landscape to understand where we're going to iterate and we're going to explore where and, and where we're going to industrialize and normalize. And now all those things are all connected and rely on each other. Now, leadership, um, it is about switching really from task management and leaders have been built, much, most of the management has been built on managing tasks, managing projects, managing programs, managing budgets and portfolios. It is generally around managing tasks. And now they need to manage people, the system of work. And that is very different. So it's all about relationships and alignment, connectedness in a network, getting people to connect to each other, understanding their relationship to outcomes. And things I've done on, on an org design recently is asking people do not look at the racy. So the racy is um, responsible, accountable, consulted, and informed, and establishing each role and how each role is actually involved with those things. What I'm asking people to first look at is, how, who are you in relationship with? What are the outcomes of those relationships? And then we can work out the roles of the relationships. But fundamentally, we should design system of work to be in collaboration with each other, in relationship with each other. Otherwise, you know, people do their job, but they're not designed to collaborate. So it's also about working with the emergence. Complexity is very much about what is trying to happen. The system of work, and it's one of the, the recent sort of refresh of ORSC is about principles. Uh, one of the principles is the system of work. The system of work is in permanent state of emergence. So how can we make, take advantage of that? Innovation relies on it getting that emergence to bubble up, understanding weak signals, hearing the voices that are generally quiet. Sometimes they are the geniuses. And getting that to bubble up, experimentation, and actually finding its path uh, through the reality of whether the customers uh, buy or not. It's also uh, adopting a coaching stance in leadership. Are the leaders need to really realize that their word, their attitude, their reaction have an impact. And how can they make it a positive impact for the people? And generating autonomy and stimulation. I'm absolutely convinced that there is a role for leaders in the modern organization. I don't believe that organizations can be just completely self-autonomous. But the role of the leader is not to get in the way. The role of the leader is to stimulate the organization to find its way and to be better. And that role of stimulation is needed. So if we think of in terms of alignment, you know, digital is about aligning the company, aligning business and technology working together, aligning executives and teams. And that alignment is basically an execution flow that is balanced with an improvement flow. It's also having a, a, a strategy and change flow that is balanced by an emergent flow. And it's getting those flows to be in balance permanently. 
Now, excellence. So this is kind of the things that are more known. Uh, it's about improvements. It's about Kaizen. It's about DevOps. You know, Agile in some cases would fit probably here. Um, it's about you know value streams and flow and resilience. Very interesting thing in digital is that to manage quality, you don't see what you're managing. It's virtual. In a car, if there's a dent in the door, if it doesn't open properly, if the engine doesn't start, you see the lack of quality very quickly and easily. In digital, it's all invisible. Managers are blindfolded effectively. And that's where creating that visibility of the work, you know, Kanban, Gemba, uh, collaboration, understanding the tech debt and capturing it in a way that we work with it and investing in the engineering capital, in, in the people that make the capital. And again, if we visit COVID, you know, I, I mean, I, I picked this up on, on the internet and I, I really liked it. When you think how much money has been invested in transformation programs with big, big senior leaders driving those transformation programs. And COVID-19 has probably driven more transformation in itself in a few months than in a lot of those programs. And when we look at what, what does that mean, accelerating change in COVID time, it's almost a, a Maslow pyramid. And you need to first have the tooling and practices. I despair completely uh, working with Skype at the moment because you can do very little. If you want to have effective meetings, you need to design those meetings like workshops all the time. You get, get people engaged in those meetings. You need to have collaborative documents. You need to design that interaction so people will get engaged. You need to think about an arc to the meeting. An arc where you may start with a problem. How can we refine that problem statement that it really engages the people? That it doesn't create a bias for a solution, but it actually creates something where people will collectively come to resolve that. Very often what I see instead is people saying, well, I call that meeting, I'm gonna tell you what I think, and then you have, you know, you can query it. So I'm going to put a big bias on the table, especially if they are senior. And then, you know, everybody has snoozed up or, and, and is quiet as to compare contribution. Instead, we should start the meeting with the problem statement and then allow people to diverge, allow creativity to happen. And it's about creating that space where we we try and avoid having reality oh we can do that because we can do that because no why not let's try what what would it take to do it without solve and and let the space open so creativity can happen and and navigating basically to a deeper level uh where where we touch the imaginary of the people and then of course we need to find you know like for coaching where where we we close with a forward action we need to actually lend people back into action. What are we going to try? What experiment becomes possible? And if we, we dreamt, we dreamt you know, far enough in terms of ideas, 
obviously those things may not be a slam dunk. So is there a thing we can try that can prove that we could go that way? And that's where progress, that's where our progress gets made. But first, if you don't have the tools, if you don't develop the practices to do that effectively remotely in COVID time, you can't do anything. You can barely run the existing business. That's it. So working double out because we're remote, working double out on creating that engagement and bringing people together to imagine possibilities is necessary in COVID. This is accelerating change. Looking at the team health, you know, we don't talk very much about team health, but it's tough for a lot of people. A lot of people that are alone. Work was their social time almost. I mean, or it was part of their social time. And, and some people find it tough. And I think they have found it tough for some time. And now we're seeing more lockdowns with winter coming upon us. It's going to be very difficult for some people. And you know, large organization has the leaders to be in touch with everybody and so on. And they can't. They have a business to run and they have so many hours in the day. And COVID has made it more difficult. So it is time to build team you know, resilience. It is time to get the teams to look after each other. It is time to bring that autonomy in the team. And this is about alliances. This is about check-ins. It is about the team every so often taking the time to reflect about themselves. It is about also making the effort to have some social time. But all this is also accelerating things we've been trying for a long time. This is becoming a necessity of COVID. And this is again the possibility of accelerating change of teams creating more autonomy, more independence, more thinking about themselves and being better together. So weirdly enough, you know, by being separated, we can actually be more intentional about the collaboration and, and focus on, on, on this even more through the COVID time. And as for leadership, where do we start? Where do we start? There is so much, and I appreciate it's extremely difficult in those times for them to also rethink how we're going to lead. Um, but it is about enabling the system of work, organizing for flow. Why do we have to have bottlenecks between silos and every information going up the silos, down another one, and up a silo, down another one? Let's connect the teams together. It's time to create those organizations where the work flows naturally. And it is time to share the strategy so the teams can make autonomous decisions. It is time to accelerate all those things. And, and again, you know, maybe those things would not have been as pressing outside of COVID. It is also time, of course, to look after how do we rescue the current business. But sometimes it's about reinventing the business because it's not really rescuable. You know, and I live in London. I'm outside London, but the center of London, I have not been in the center of London for six months. The, the sandwich shops, you know, I have nobody to sell sandwiches to in the city or in Canary Wharf. And those are expensive estates. 
why don't they do a delivery service elsewhere? Why don't they reinvent their business? They're all closing shops, but there is a new demand elsewhere, I'm sure. So they could think about things like this. And I worked with enterprises and startups as well as large, large clients. And, and large clients, it's very difficult to reinvent a business. Whereas startups are naturally more inclined and more entrepreneurial to actually do this. And for their survival, they can pivot a lot quicker. And what we'll see through this time is actually that some large businesses are probably going to suffer massively, whilst a lot of startups are going to reinvent something new. So it's, it's, it's a really troubled time, but it actually also can be a really novel and creative time. So in summary, uh, reconfiguring, reconfiguring leadership is really about moving from hierarchy to decentralized, moving from cost mindset to growth mindset, you know, moving from planning and control to actually strategy participation and sharing and involvement of the people. It is about probably many of them are technophobes and they have to become technophiles. It was authority, it has to become enablement. It was about control, it's about serendipity now. It was about task and project, it's about people. And with COVID, it's also about remote first, at least for the time being. So, are you more Danny Wild or are you more Lord Brett Sinclair? Thank you very much. Awesome, thank you. All right, so we've got a few minutes for questions, comments, thoughts. Um, who has something you'd like to bring to the table? Ted? It's a wonderful presentation. I really appreciated it. I especially loved how you used the Canavan model to explain the watermelon type of uh, that was that was brilliant actually. Um, Kinevin is an interesting thing though because it, and this is, this is an insight my dad had when we were kind of studying it. It's all perspective. For somebody, it could be a complex problem. For someone else, the same problem could be complicated or even clear, depending upon the viewer. So, um, how do you take that into consideration in some of the the way you explain these things rather than this type of problem is this for this uh, organization or person or something. You're right saying it's not universal. Uh, um, but if in your organization it's a complex problem and mm. for somebody else it's genuinely a clear problem, your organization is probably a long way behind. And, and in that case, rather than trying to solve it yourself, that's where the use of consultants is actually right. useful. Training, consultants, and so on. And you need to focus on upskilling as well as bringing solutions quickly in uh, via externals that have that knowledge. Um, but most of the time what we got is some people that think they have a complicated problem for analysis when actually it's a complex problem. Um, or sometimes it's, you know, it's a compound problem. Um, 
So for instance, you know, DevOps is, an, is, is a fantastic one. A DevOps pipeline, yeah, we've established what a DevOps pipeline is about. We, we know the tools you tend to need. We know how it should work. But DevOps adoption is another matter. And it's not because the DevOps pipeline is, is established, probably complicated, that the adoption is complicated as well. And the adoption and, and the human elements are always very, very often in the complex domain. Because there's so many multifaceted elements of, of them working, of people working in a certain way that it is so contextual to your situation. Mm. And, and finding solutions to that is not rational. You know, change is emotional. And that's where you need to figure some enabling constraints, not just solving limiting constraints. So sometimes, you know, you're going to say, well, we're going to de deploy every two weeks. Every sprint we're deploying now. But that's going to take too long. Yeah, it's going to take long, but we're going to get better at it. And, and sometimes that's what you do. I mean, I've even had the situation where nothing would change. And, and what you, you say in, in systemic coaching is that uh, a system is like an 800 pound gorilla. Doesn't want to move, it's not going to shift. So in that case, the kind of thing you can do is, is create disruption in the system. And what we did is we stopped everybody to work overnight we said you know what this release is not going to happen we're going to rescue the bit of it that really matters and for the rest you know what you self-organize we're going to make the the software better we need to to do things better what do you suggest we do and the fact that people stopped their work they actually took notice that we meant about quality and then the engineers took a voice <clears throat> and because they took a voice, they also took action. And we could have done anything. That was the best thing to do for the system to realize quality mattered. Then there's a, a lot of other reasons why it's difficult to make it matter, but suddenly the system realized that. And suddenly a momentum was created to achieve that. So, and in here, what we did is there was no crisis we created a crisis, we created chaos for novel thinking to happen by removing constraints. Yeah. Now when you know, the virus happens, well, you need to take advantage of that. You cannot create chaos on top of chaos, otherwise it can become a bit dangerous. Uh, but you know, when, when something like the virus happens, you have to actually look at what can be positive out of this and how do we leverage the situation to, to, to to develop the positive out of it. Yeah, I, I, deep, I really like that insight of in the DevOps problem, DevOps itself is complicated. It's been done thousands of times before by many, but the getting your uh, IT department to change their way of thinking can be incredibly complex. And that's why coaches and some of these things are helpful because uh, people are used to working on complicated things. Most of the time, a lot of managers not so much in that complex domain. So, yeah, the, the complex is very often about competencies. 
not necessarily about solutions. Mm-hmm. And, and to, to build the competencies, it's a mix of training and coaching and all those things. Uh, and enabling it. So sometimes the training allows you to build the competency, but enabling it, it's more about coaching most of the time. So you need to have a different approach deployed there. Beautiful, thanks. So, so Philip, I was really interested to see the, the analogy with Maslow's pyramid. Mm-hmm. And um, what I know about Maslow's pyramid is that for a lot of people, it's actually not a full pyramid. A lot of people just don't get to the top, right? And that's perfectly fine. Um, but what we teach in Agile is that you can do technical stuff, you can do process and tools, absolutely fantastic, and without leadership, you don't get anywhere. So um, I'm curious how you're thinking about this analogy and whether the bottom part can actually live without the top part. I think the bottom part can live without the top. I don't think the top can live without the bottom. And that's the message I wanted to bring. If, if you don't find a way to connect and engage people remotely during this time, you're not going to get any of the rest realized. And, and if, you try, if you don't focus on your team health, and, and that resilience of the teams, you're not gonna be able to drive change and flow and all those things. So it's really the, the bottom elements are needed to be able to, to execute on the, on the higher level. And another, another thing I often say as well is that, and in Agile, you know, we tend to say, oh, we, we need to be Agile or do Agile, be Agile. Um, and, and very often you realize that you can't be. You know, if you, don't do, if you don't have a decent DevOps, if you can't put your software live every so often, you're gonna batch up. If you batch up, you may be working in Sprint, but you're not gonna be agile. Oh, so, sure, so, so you're not getting any argument from me there. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely aligned. I think what, what's coming up for me is that your bottom part requires some leadership for its existence. Oh yeah, yeah, agreed with that. Agreed with that. Okay, so so it's it, it's a little bit kind of for me it was a little bit disconnect because in Maslow's I know it goes, it builds up right. Uh, in in your uh, example, bottom actually requires a piece of of the top, and vice versa. Yeah, I mean you you can have skunk work and stuff like that, but in large organization it doesn't tend to happen. And, 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 you know, in banks, I've seen the email saying, if you, if you use Zoom, it's a sackable offense. So yes, indeed, it's, it's, you know, the skunk work could happen, you know, people could start using Zoom, uh, but if, if they are prevented at that degree, it's very difficult uh, to, to, to let that happen. Yeah, 